you don't have to send your kids to college to get them educated. You do not have to send them to college, pay those prices or spend that time in order for them to get equivalent or superior education. You do not. There are no rules. No rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work, and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Aloha, folks. Welcome back to Degree Free. I'm Ryan. She's Hannah. Before we get into today's episode, a little note. There is major construction happening outside of the studio today, and We thought about canceling our recording, but we want to get this information to you and we don't want to miss a week. So we are making the recording and I'm going to do my best after this to edit out all of the construction noises, all of the beeping and all of the banging, but I may not be successful. So just know that it is going to be construction-y this week. And for those listening and for those watching, I apologize. I'm going to do my best, though. I promise. Okay, let's get into it. Average cost of college intuition. This is a new report that has come out from a site called Initiative. And this is from the NCES, which is the National Center for Education Statistics data as of September 6th. Do you want to take a wild guess, Ryan, at the average cost of college per student per year in the U.S.? Let's be shocked. Let's be shocked. $10,000. That's cute. Try $36,000 a year. No way. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so we knew it was bad, but we didn't know it was quite that bad. This is pretty rough though, because I feel like the last time I read an NCES report on the average cost of tuition, I could have sworn it was like $27,000 a year average, but now it's thirty-six. I don't recall, but I don't remember it being $36,000. All jokes aside, I'm not shocked. I even think that this might be low, to be perfectly honest. I know it's the average, but I was like, I know there's a lot of people that spend way more than that. And so I don't know. It says this includes books, supplies, and daily living expenses, but I feel like I know, again, anecdotal, but I feel like I know kids that spend quite a bit more than that at school. Anyway, whatever. The average cost of college has more than doubled in the 21st century, which we know, an annual growth rate of 2% over the past 10 years. But really, the number that we want to know is since 1980, the cost of college has gone up 169%. And I think it's safe to say that the value has not gone up 169%. The average in-state student attending a public four-year institution spends $26,000 in an academic year. The average cost of in-state tuition is $9,600, all right. Out-of-state tuition averages $27,000 a year. Now, the average private nonprofit university student spends a total of $55,000 per academic year living on campus, and of that $55,000, $38,000 of it is tuition and fees. Pretty staggering actually. That's that's quite it's quite a lot. So all of those numbers that you just gave out, that was all inclusive of what you said earlier, like books, living, 
so on and so forth. Correct. The thing that they did that I really appreciate is they factored in student loan interest and also lost income, which is something that's really important because a lot of people do not take into account the fact that most students do not work and they are losing money every single year that they are in school, not just because they're paying, but because they're not working. They're actively not working. And the ultimate cost of a bachelor's degree can exceed half a million dollars. Now, I, what I do want to say here is that in this report, they say in this context, college refers to any four-year post-secondary institution that offers an undergraduate degree program, okay? Here's the problem. What do you and I know about four years when they refer to college? It's not four years. It's not four years. It's five and a half for most graduates. So I did the rough math on the $36,000 a year times five and a half years, and you are looking at $200,000 in order to get a bachelor's degree. That's just cost. That's unbelievable. And there is no way <laughs> with the stats that we know to be true about college, which thank you, Washington University, 53% of college graduates one to five years out of college are under or unemployed. The government defines underemployed as $28,000 a year or less. More than half of college graduates are making less than $28,000 a year, or they don't have a job at all. And then the median, once they actually do get work up to five years out of school, is $48,000 a year, which if you live in a high tax state like California or New York is 38K, all said and done. So why are people going? It's just an unbelievably poor value proposition. And the fact that it's still knee jerk we send kids to do this because they should and because it's what you do and because it's traditional. I also, as an aside, I hate saying college is traditional education because most people do not attend college. So why is college traditional education when most people traditionally do not attend college? That makes no sense to me. Anyway, it's just part of institutional marketing. But that's my aside about that bothering me. But yeah, so the summary of this is that if you go to college... Student loan interest and loss of income factored in the ultimate cost of a bachelor's degree with the average cost of college and tuition right now, you're looking at half a million dollars in cost. Yeah, that's crazy. And even the 200 grand is crazy as far as costs go. I mean, sure, there are a lot of people listening to this that'll be like, well, you can do it for much cheaper. And that is absolutely Yeah, cool. People correct. don't though. Right. Is that people don't. I get that comment all the time, which is like, oh, well, you can do it for a lot less. I was like, yeah, but people do not. It also doesn't mean that just because you do it for less in a more affordable way, that the value on the other side for your time for the lost wages makes up for the difference of it as well. Because say that you go to one of these online universities, and I don't want to say a name, of any of these because I don't want to promote any of I've them. I've been getting ads for a couple of them that it's like I can't stitch them on TikTok and talk about how they're trying to target moms uh, like stay-at-home moms. It's kind of unbelievable. Right. I literally don't want to say their names because I don't want to give them any airtime because they're spending millions of dollars and they're like, oh, well, you know, here, take this degree program that only takes three years. There's no semesters, really. You just pay per six months and then you can take as many classes as you want. It's just a really, really good way of getting more money out of people that weren't going to spend that money to begin with. And then what do you think is the value of that degree afterwards when you get it in such a fashion? I mean, not good. Right. There's already very little value in degrees 
to begin with, and there's even less value in those degrees. To get back to it, could you do it for cheaper? Absolutely. Does it mean you still should? You got to weigh that for yourself. If you're looking at me, you know, probably not. Probably not. And really at the point of like, when does it make sense to go back to college or go to college is at some point later in your career when you can afford it. And you've also realized that you quote need it for your career. Look, college is a business just like anyone else. They will take your money at any time. Yes. Do not let them push you off this cliff. That's what I call it. The college cliff. They're just trying to push all these teenagers off and their parents off this college cliff. You don't have to go off of it. You don't have to jump off of it. You can just go, you know what? I'll be back. Why? Because they're a greedy trillion dollar business and they will take your money at any point. There's a story I want to tell about an interaction that I had with BYU on LinkedIn, the college BYU. This has nothing to do with the fact that it was BYU. This has everything to do with the fact that they were bragging about how they had improved their product, which is their bachelor's degree, and how had they improved it? They took it from four years to three years. Two points. One, it could have been three years the whole time. If it could have been three years, it could have been two years. If it could have been two years, it could have been one year. If it could have been one year, it could have been individual classes. Because if we really get into the ethics of college, they should be selling a la carte educational options. But whatever. Two, they were bragging about the fact that they were bringing the cost down to make it more affordable for people by having them do three-year degrees. So I commented on this post on LinkedIn where they were talking about, wow, look, look, unveiling our three-year degree. And I just said, well, since most college graduates take five and a half years to graduate, does that mean that people will actually just graduate in four years from your three-year program? To which they responded, well, everything depends on how many classes the student takes. And I just responded to them, so yes, your three-year degree program is going to take four years. So your three-year program is actually the length that you imply your four-year degrees will be. It's just insane. And they're packaging it like it's this great novel thing that they've done for people. Like, oh, you're welcome. Now you can you can take a three-year program that's actually going to take you four and a half years probably in order to graduate. It's just unbelievable. And instead of improving their product, instead of allowing students to get micro degrees, instead of allowing students to actually just stack their skills together and take the classes that actually matter, instead, they're still going to cram them through their stupid program and require them to take a bunch of classes they don't need in order to prop up their institution instead of actually catering to the student. This is not toward BYU specifically. This is towards all of these colleges that are doing this because this is their new shtick. Their new shtick is, oh, three years, but really it's still going to be four years, guys. There's a couple of stories that I want to tell in here. One, I was in college and I was getting my degree. It was impossible to get your degree with a full course load. So a full course load defined at the time as five classes in order for you to be a full-time student for like insurance benefits is like four classes you have to take at a time and then you're a full-time student but then okay so you have to take five in order to be like a full course load student you were not able to graduate in four years if you took five classes a semester for four years it was impossible you had to take summer school or you needed to one semester, you needed to take six, and then another semester you take six as well. And so you missed it by just this much if you did four. And then it was my senior year 
and the college in their great wisdom they lowered it by whatever it was eight credits or whatever it was six credits and they did this big marketing campaign about i think it was a five in four so it was five classes a semester for four years i think that's what they named this marketing campaign and it was basically like literally giving themselves gold stars i mean literally because the banners around the school had gold stars on Not them the gold stars and it was just like yeah, five and four, five and four. Can you imagine the faculty meeting where they're like, oh, Jenny, that's a good one. That's a great <laughs> idea. And so that, they're going to love that. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, we can actually have them graduate in four years instead of taking summer school or having to load on six classes and then six classes or have to do seven classes, which you need like a override to do. And it was too late for me because I had already done it. You know what I mean? I was done. I was basically done. I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. And so it reminds me very much of that. And then, and, and you're absolutely right. They are starting to feel the squeeze and they're trying to, what's happening is that the pandemic made a lot of people reconsider the value of a college degree, which is why it's so in vogue right now. You and I, our opinion, when we first started this podcast and even prior to that, like the eight years before that, where we were telling people, you don't have to go to be successful. You don't have to go to be successful. You don't have to go to college to be successful. That was a fringe idea. And people were like, what are you talking about? Two years ago, when we started this podcast, a little over two years ago, when we tell people, they'd be like, that's crazy. That's crazy. Now that the pandemic happened, now that people are started, their eyes are starting to open. It's almost like the mainstream media is adopting our point of view and be like, let's question the value of a college degree. And in the pandemic, people that were in college that were enrolled, it started to all unravel. It started to all unravel this, this sham of what it actually is because they weren't actually on campus. They weren't at the keggers. They weren't sleeping through their classes on, you know, actually physically there. They weren't hating their lives. Well, you can't even make the networking argument at that point because exactly. they're not even there. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so people went back and they were just like, well, should I even do this? Should I even do this? And then so many people broke out of college, which is amazing. And then their siblings right behind them were like, they didn't even go. Right. They made the decision. These Gen Zers, I don't, you know what? I'm terrible. I have no idea. These young whippersnappers. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the rickets. <laughs> I, I creak when I wake up in the morning. So I can start talking like that. They're like 15 years younger than I am. So I know, hon. I know. <laughs> I could be your dad. I could be. <laughs> I could be your respect. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no. I don't these, understand TikTok. Yeah. These young wh whippersnappers are not going to college because they don't see the value of it either. What happened was that, that these colleges were just like, okay, well, we're going to charge them the same amount of money, but we're going to take away all of the amenities, which they didn't even think to themselves like, hey, the amenities is the whole reason that that's your whole value proposition. They think that they're there to get job training and then to, you know, hopefully get hired and everything. But no, people are there because one, they don't want to be an outcast of society and all that, all that stuff, all the societal pressure, all of the pressure, the familial pressure that you're feeling from, for me, it was my grandfather. I had a discussion with a Fang engineer. He works at Twitch now, but he worked at Amazon, Apple, Etsy, uh, Sean Dubois, 
go back and listen to that episode. But for him, it was his mother, right? And for a lot of people, it's their parents saying, hey, you got to go to college. You got to go to college and feel this pressure. Okay, so there's all of that. But then there's there's also like they're there for the college experience and you're taking away the entire experience from them. And what the colleges are realizing is like, oh my God, if I take the experience away from them and I take them all and put them into a Zoom room, they're realizing that they're not getting anything from us. And so they're going to opt out. I think that three-year thing is actually more for the parents. I think it's trying to de-risk it for the parents because ultimately, I think it's the parents that are making the purchasing decision because they're the ones, even if the students are the ones taking out the loans, it's the parents who are pushing them to do so. It's the parents who are deciding whether or not these kids go to school. And I think what happens happened was the parents were the ones that really got a full taste of like one the curriculum and then two the actual situation and they're just like i'm not going to make my other kids go and so the colleges are like maybe if we make it less time they won't think it's as bad they must have tested they must have tested it right and really what i want to say to the parents is do not let them pull you back in with that because what that's saying is they are admitting that their product is inferior because you don't have to send your kids to college to get them educated. You do not have to send them to college, pay those prices or spend that time in order for them to get the equivalent or superior education. You do not. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Degree Free Podcast. At Degree Free, we wanna help everyone thrive and succeed without needing a college degree. And the only way to truly reach everyone is with your help. If you're getting value out of this episode, or if this is your second, third, or fourth episode that you're tuning into, if you could just ship this to a friend, just click that one button and share it with someone in your contacts or on your stories. It would mean the world to us. And more importantly, gets our message out to more people who need help getting out of their current situation. If you could do that right now, that would mean a whole lot. Do not get sucked back in by this three-year nonsense that's actually going to take four years. Don't do it. Before we move on from this, I did want to say the other story that I was thinking about when you brought this up, which is now you are starting to see all of these colleges and all of these universities, their enrollment is dropping. And so what are they doing now? They're creating boot camps. They are creating these shorter intensive boot camps, things that you see in the private sector, things that you see, you know, individuals doing. So, you, you know, you pay 15 grand and then you go to this physical location for eight weeks and then you just hammer a keyboard for eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know how to code, right? They are doing that exact same thing because they realize that they've missed an entire segment of the market and they're trying to claw you back in there. And look, if you end up doing this skill and learning the skill and getting the experience and then landing a job, I mean, hey, that's awesome, right? That's the only goal. Right, exactly. Because why is that a good thing? Well, the value and time that you're getting out of it is huge. You're only doing it for eight weeks six weeks. To be real, I think I was looking at some of these programs and I don't want to name any universities because I'm not giving anybody free airtime, but some of these programs are like six months and they cost like 17 grand. It's not quite as quick as some of these other ones. But the thing is, is depending on what you're doing, those programs can be that long and that that expensive too. So anyway, it's something for you to look into, but they are creating these different products now because they're realizing like, hey, we're behind the times, which makes you think 
isn't that exactly what college is supposed to be anyway? I know for myself, I'm not talking about anybody else. I know for myself, I went because I thought it was job training. I went because I thought it was a job necessity. And I've said it so many times in this podcast, the way that I viewed it, I know for me and myself, when I looked at job descriptions, I saw only one line that said they required anything. It said college degree required. Everything else was nice to haves. And so I was like, yeah, well, if I get a college degree, then they're automatically going to hire me because that's the only thing that's required. And look, I know I'm an idiot because that's not how the world works. I, I mean, I know that now. I told you that's how it worked. Right, exactly. Or that's what I thought at the time. And that's what the marketing says. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox about this, but I can go all day on this and the value of a college degree and the different products that they're spitting out, the iteration of the product over the years. It's something that really fascinates me and I'm sure it fascinates you as well, but we'll move on. All right. So what I want to talk about next is the future of job security. What is the future of job security? Do you think? Seriously, it is people skills. This is something you and I were just talking about, but the future of job security, according to this Forbes article, is flexibility. And that makes a lot of sense because as AI comes onto the scene, and I know this, people are going to think this is an AI podcast recently, but I don't think people have, a lot of people have fully grasped how it has fundamentally changed work. The industrial revolution changed work and the internet changed work and AI is going to change work because a lot of people don't interact with it necessarily on a user basis every single day. And so they don't really fully understand how much it's going to change and how much it's already changed. But you and I work with it pretty intimately on a daily basis. And so that's why we see how it's starting to touch everything and what's going to happen. And I think this this is what's cool about this is that as AI continues to change work, the qualities that are going to be the most valued are going to be human qualities. Those are going to be creativity, flexibility, interpersonal skills, like human communication. And that is where I see, and so does this Forbes article writer, the future of job security. And it's funny because I just posted about this on LinkedIn the other day where I just said like job security is not real. Job security is skill security, which means you are able to learn new things and you are able to continually keep changing. And that is going to matter a lot. And I think that completely contradicts what a lot of people have been taught because of college, because it's so static, because it's such a monolith and people are used to, I go to college, I buy my degree. And after I buy my degree, I don't have to learn anything new. That's just not going to cut it anymore for people that want to keep moving up, for people that want to get ahead, for people that want to make more money, for people that want to start businesses. You have to keep learning. You have to keep going. And Honestly, I think that really frozen, crystallized mindset of I learn once and then I get my job and I'm done. It's dead. That doesn't exist anymore. Not if you want to continue to move up. Even people who are in jobs where they want to stay in the same job for long periods of time, you're going to have to keep learning new skills in order to stay competitive in your actual job. And I don't mean like you constantly have to be going to the next boot camp or constantly going to the next course, but you have to be learning incrementally all the time. And that is what I think that's what capitalism is to me. It's the fact that we are now going to get to a point where technology is going to make it so that we are able to be more creative. We're able to do more interesting things. Humans are able to do more human work again. Like people are going to get out of Excel sheets. People are going to get out of boring things and people are going to get into things that actually matter. And that 
I'm excited to see and I see it now. And that's pretty cool. So that's what I think the future of job security is. I hear what you're saying and I completely agree with you. I wanted to key in on a couple of things that you're saying. One, you were saying that, you know, if you want to move up, you have to continue to upskill. I think that that's wrong. Or rather, I don't think it's wrong, but I think that you need to add a qualifier at the end of it. So yes, obviously, if you want to move up, you have to continue to upskill. But I think as AI comes into the workplace, especially depending on what you're doing, if you are not upskilling, you are going to be left in the dust. So it's not even moving up. It's just remaining where you are. So with the advancement of AI, with it coming in, which is all of what I wanted to talk about today. So this is actually very timely because I'm going to go through this uh, AI report that LinkedIn put out. With these companies are going to adopt AI at such a huge rate that depending on what your job is, your job might not be necessary and you might be let go. And so, like I said, yes, upskilling to move up, but it could also be upskilling just to stay relevant in your marketplace, in your industry in your job. The second thing that I wanted to talk about, I really liked was your job security is skill security. I agree with that 100%. I'm currently helping someone get a job and transition from being a creative his whole life and going into a completely different field. We go through like your needs and your wants at the very beginning and stuff like that. And he only had three needs. And so the needs that he had was like make $50,000 a year, room for growth and work remotely. It's very, very reasonable, right? Which is if you any of you have taken the job change accelerator, you know that that's like that's what your needs should look like when you're looking for a job, especially when you are switching from one industry to, an, to the other, because there's almost infinite amount of jobs that will fill those requirements. But if you have like 17 different requirements and 17 different needs, way it, less jobs. Yes, totally. But what I said to him is I said, okay, I really like those things, but room for growth. I said, can we look at that? What if we could internalize room for growth and we weren't dependent on our job or our industry for that room for growth? And we said, okay, from now on, I'm just going to adopt this mindset that I'm going to constantly be learning and constantly be learning. And the only thing that's going to stop my growth is me. So then if you adopt that mindset, you'll never run out of room for growth. For example, you could go to a company and go into a department where you become the top person. Like let's say it's sales or something. And, and in sales, there really isn't too much room to grow in that department. If you're a salesperson, I mean, then you can become a people manager or a sales trainer, but that's a different job. Okay, maybe that doesn't mean room for growth, but if you are saying, okay, I'm ready to grow and I'm willing to grow and do that and take on those different roles, then okay, then you'll have room for growth in any company, in any industry, in any job. So really, if you can internalize that and you say, I am the limit of my growth, then really you only have two needs. You got to make $50,000 a year and you got to work remotely, which makes it even easier. And then it also, it goes to the thing that you and I both know, which is when you're first making your major career transition, or even if you're deciding to just get a job or you know follow one of the five degree free pathways right out of high school and not go to college and you're looking for college alternatives, the first job that you get when you first make that transition or when you first seek a college alternative, it's not incredibly important. Not really, as long as you have that mindset of I'm going to grow out of here. I'm going to 
take something from here and go further up. Exactly. You're just trying to make the first move. That's the most important thing for people that that are listening to this and you're literally doing manual labor, right? The first move is from stop doing manual labor to sitting underneath the desk. However you have to do that, that's what you have to do as long as your other needs are met. I really like that job security equals skill security. With everything that you talked about there, you're pretty much giving away the end of what I was going to talk about in this AI report, which is the thing that matters most going forward. And so I won't bury the lead. The thing that's going to matter most going forward is human interaction and human skills. And that's everything around that. So soft skills, communication, flexibility, and I'll read the actual thing that this report says, but those are going to matter the most. Secondly, from a branding perspective, from a, you know, you want to be a personal brand if anybody wants to do that, which unfortunately that's kind of the way that the world is, is, is headed and you have a personal brand, whether you like it or not. And so if you're aware of it and you can think about how you want that to be conveyed to the world, you know, the better for it. From that perspective as well, it's going to be more human than ever before, which is you're going to need to have an opinion. About something. Have an opinion about something. Like whatever your opinion is, if you don't have one, figure out whatever your opinion is and then be like, okay, so I do have opinions about something. So for example, for me, and they don't do this anymore, but I'm a baseball fan and there's the American League and there's the National League in baseball. National League had pitchers hit and American League didn't. Now they both have designated hitters. I personally believe that pitchers should hit because that's how God intended baseball to be played. Because you are part of the team, a part of a nine-man roster, just like everybody else. So you hit. I completely understand why Major League Baseball went the opposite way and made sure that, you know, pitchers don't hit because it's a better product for the fans. I get it. But that's that's my opinion, right? And so if you can have an opinion like that about something totally unrelated to your industry or anything, then you know that you have opinions somewhere else. So for us, our work opinion is that, well, you don't need a college degree to be successful. That That's our opinion. Or my opinion about AI, and I think it's yours, is that I think that every company is going to be an AI company, quote unquote. It reminds me of the data where everybody became a data company. Why? Because it matters. It matters what people are doing. It matters what people are thinking. It matters how they're making decisions. It matters what types of decisions they're making when they're making them. And so something like 98% of companies now track their data. It's a thing that people do because it's a practice that makes sense. And that is the same with AI. It's just going to reduce cost and improve the quality of human work. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just jump into what I wanted to talk about today, which is going to be this report, Future of Work Report, AI at Work. And this is from LinkedIn. And I will timestamp this because this is from August 2023. So it's just a few months old or a couple months old, but I still think that the information in here is really, really amazing. And we're going to go through this. There's a lot of articles and things that we talked about in this episode. So Per usual, show notes are going to be at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. You can check out the show notes there. I'm not going to read this entire report to you because that would frankly take all day, but I will sum up the parts that I thought were really interesting and how you can use it in your career and to level up, hopefully, or at least be aware that this is happening right now 
under our noses. And for some of us, right in front of our faces. Before I get started, if you go to degreefree.co forward slash podcast, and then you do check this report out, this thing is super well laid out. It's like, I can understand this thing. This is like amazing. And I would love it if I was this good at page design and presentation design. It really is amazing. But okay, so let's jump into the report here. The first thing that I wanted to mention out of this report that is worth mentioning is that the share of global English language job postings mentioning GPT or chat GPT increased 21x since November 2022. That is a lot. Granted, I think that's when it came out. Nobody really knew about it. And that's when their big push was. So 21X is probably off of a very small beginning number, but still pretty insane. On this same page, and I'm going to read this quote here, 47% of US executives believe that, quote, using generative AI will increase productivity, unquote. 44% plan to increase their use of AI at their organization in the next year, and 40% think that using generative AI will help unlock more growth slash revenue opportunities in the next year. Those are very, very high percentages of companies that are adopting it and that are looking towards the future of like, hey, how can we start using AI in our company? And it goes back to exactly what you were saying about the data. The puck is clearly going that way. And People that are not skating to the puck are going to be left behind. And I'm not saying people, although I mean that too, with companies and therefore business leaders that are not positioning their companies to be a part of this is, you know, I think a mistake. And they see that as well. 40%, at least 40 plus percent of that see it as well. So that is crazy. The next thing that I had highlighted is going to be the uptick in members skills Employers job postings and platform conversations indicates that competition is intensifying to hire talent to fill specialized AI roles. Since many of these roles are brand new and no existing degree completely satisfies the role, filling them will require an increased emphasis on hiring for skills. Businesses will need to thoroughly understand the skills they have and the skills they need so they can hire candidates with the right skills and direct upskilling efforts for current employees appropriately. And now this is a quote, and I'm going to read it from the CEO of LinkedIn, Ryan Orlansky, March 20th, 2023, companies that focus on skills and shift away from antiquated signals like degree, pedigree, or where someone worked previously will be able to ensure they have the right people with the right skills in the right roles doing their best work. And it doesn't stop there. Once you have those employees in the right roles with the right skills, it's equally important to continue investing in their career progression and skills. Ryan Rolansky. My boy. <laughs> this, yeah. He is awesome. He's the man. So how is this useful to us? Well, it's useful to people that have that degree-free mindset, that believe in the degree-free way of upskilling, showing that you can do the work, knowing that you can do the work, and then going out and getting these jobs. It is telling you right here that there are no schools, there are no degrees for these AI roles. The wall isn't even built. 
right? So there is no gatekeeper. Who can who can gatekeep this? Nobody, because it's a brand new industry. So really, your opportunity has never been better. It's, our prices have never been lower. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? I was looking at I was looking at some roles for specifically for AI prompt engineers, and it was interesting because I noticed quite a few of them say masters or PhD, even though the language was softer than it was before, right? It says preferred now. But that's funny because I was like, in what? And they didn't specify. Why did they not specify? Because there isn't one. There isn't one. They're just making it up. They're just making it up to make their jokes work. And they have posted these job postings, or rather their HR has posted these job postings, and they have included this for no reason at all. I venture to say, it makes me want to do an experiment, but applying to these jobs with the correct skill set I guarantee will result in interviews because it's ridiculous. They don't know what they're, they don't know what degree they're looking for because they don't actually care. Yeah. They well, they're trying to control for smart people. And I'm using quotes for everybody watching. They're trying to control for smart people, but smart in what? Like, yeah. in in what smart in, I went and got a master's degree in something that's not applicable to this. Exactly. Or maybe it is. I don't know how it would be. But the, point of the matter is that if you can prove that you can do this work and if you are messing with something on your free time and working on your own projects and you're able to document it and then you're able to get an interview and then tell these people that you can do it and show these people you can do it now is the time because there will be a degree soon 100 positive what do we know about these colleges these colleges as much as we dog on them they are smart they are very, very business savvy and they are going to try to build these walls as quickly as possible and then be like, yep, there's, this is our AI degree. And then they're going to build the wall and then build the gate and they're going to gatekeep this. So before they can do that, get- learn, build your projects, apply to these jobs. Exactly. And then, so my next thing is for everybody who's thinking, oh, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. It's absolutely not too late. Although when you look at the relative numbers, you might think that because it says 21X since November, 2022. Isn't that when the product dropped or very much around there? So no duh, right? Like 21X from when the product dropped? Yes, that makes sense. In the same vein, I'm gonna read another little call out box here. And for those that are watching and then for those that are following along that actually go and get this report that's on page eight. In 2016, only three out of every 1,000 members could be considered AI talent. By 2022, that number had increased to 17 in 1,000 based on the median share of AI talent across 25 countries. That's nobody. Yeah. So that is a massive relative increase, right? I mean, what is that, 6x? That's huge. Yeah, but that's not even close to how many people they need to know things about it and do things with it. But it's 17 out of 1,000 people so far. So they don't have any experts in these fields yet. Or I mean, there are experts in the fields, but you can be an expert too, right? We're early. We're still very early. The next point that I wanted to bring up was that This isn't just happening in the tech industries. This is going to happen literally everywhere. And it's not just happening in the US either. In fact, the number one place that this is happening where AI skills is is accelerating is in Singapore. Makes sense there. They're on the edge of everything. They they are on the edge of everything. That country is a wonder. Yeah, it's in, I don't know too much about it. I know just enough. I don't know that I want to live in it, but it's man is it interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I just I know just enough to be like that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Just like the data, you know, it's just it's just like data. It's it's every industry that's going to have to do it. Yes, exactly. And we are in the early innings of it. And so if your industry isn't using AI yet, but you can see how AI can be implemented, that is a massive, massive opportunity. So massive, in fact, and I'm going to read you this next stat for those following along. This is on page 13. 51% of US executives are excited about AI advancements, but do not yet know how their organization will leverage AI tools and skills. This is a huge opportunity. 51%. That is half. That is more than half. Are like, yeah, we need to use it, but we don't know how to use it. Yeah, that's such a glaring opportunity. Exactly. And so maybe right now you don't know how to use it either. And maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, well, I work at a massive company with a hundred plus employees. How am I going to tell this decision maker, big head honcho guy, that they should start using AI? I have no idea how the inner workings of all of these different departments goes. That is thinking too big. What can you do right now in your job, in your role? What can you do in your industry And how can you leverage AI tools to help you do your job more efficiently, better? And if you don't know, it's probably because you don't know what AI is capable of yet. And so if you don't know what this AI is capable of yet, then you need to just start jumping on and figuring it out. Play with these tools, right? ChatGPT is super, super easy to use and it's free. I mean, you can pay $20 a month for the GPT-4 if you want it and to be able to use plugins, but that's pretty cheap for education. This is what I did earlier this year, which is I subbed out Google for ChatGPT. Once the iPhone app came out, I downloaded it and I said, okay, for a week, I am just going to use ChatGPT instead of Google whenever I need to Google anything and I'll see it. And I didn't go back to Google. And that right there shows you the massive, massive disruption. Because now I didn't go to Google when normally you go to Google and then it gives you a link. And then you press the link and you're like, I got to read, you know. Through ads. Exactly. I got to read all of this nonsense to get to the thing that I wanted. This is going to change media. It's going to change SEO for sure. But then you can look and play with these tools and see how it's going to change your own job. I mean, for me personally, I'm very glad that I'm not in my first job anymore right out of college because right out of college, I was working in a role where I was basically a monkey with a headset. And what I mean by a monkey with a headset, you could literally train a monkey as long as the monkey understood like numbers and stuff, as long as they understood like number recognition. And as long as they understood that you could train them to do my job. I am positive that bank, that these companies are leveraging AI in some way now to get rid of those people. And if they aren't doing it yet, they have already started to, right? Because for me, I was just looking at a rubric. I was literally just looking, does it fit all of these qualifications? Does does this fit, the, check this box, this box? Literally, does it check 17 boxes? Okay, it checks all 17 boxes, send it on through okay, it's not checking two of these boxes. Okay, well, let's look. And there's like a decision tree 
of like if it's this box or this box that's not checked, then we we do this. This is the decision. And now I'm positive that it's mostly automated away. And the next thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm almost done, is on page 16, 94% of US members are in jobs that could leverage generative AI to automate at least a quarter of repetitive tasks and increase productivity. So an example that they use is generative AI might lead a language translator to shift their focus from doing literal translations to reviewing and certifying machine generated translations or specializing in specific legal or literary content. That goes to exactly what I was talking about, which is like my job at that old bank is going to go away. I mean, for the most part, or the scope of that job is going to completely change. And maybe instead I'm just going through, okay, it already made the, the decision. It said, yes, it checked all 17, 17, 17. And then you just go and check, check. Yes, 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 yes. No, 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 no. So the nature of your job is going to look very different. And if you are in one of these I don't know what else to say other than low skill. If you are in one of these low skill jobs, as I was, you have to really look towards upskilling, which is what I was saying when you brought this up earlier, right? Which is, it's not just upskilling so that you can continue to move up. It's upskilling so you don't get left behind. Because if you look around and you say, wow, my job largely could be automated away, well, your job is probably going to be automated away, going to be automated away. And then if you upskill, okay, perfect. If you wanted to be the dark horse, you could help introduce AI into your company to help automate your job away so that you have a new role, which is the supervisor of this project. Instead of like trying to hold the water back, you could get a surfboard and try to ride the wave. You're probably, uh, other people might drown. But, <laughs> but you'll be right. You'll, you'll, you'll be riding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I won't go through much more because you can just go through this yourself. And it's not that long of a read. It's a good report. Yeah. So I'll just go over two more things really, really quickly. It has a chart on page 17, right? And this chart is really, really amazing. It goes through the different industries or occupations where and it gives percentages of the different skills that could potentially be augmented by generative AI. And then I'm just going to call out the four highest ones, and then I'll call out the three lowest ones. So really quick, the highest one is going to be software engineer. 96% of the skills can potentially be augmented by generative AI, which makes sense because it's all on the computer. And then there is salespeople, 59%. A lot of that is going to be cold calling, right? Like actually dialing. There's going to be retail sales, outside sales. A lot of the responsibilities there are going to be automated away through AI. And then thinking about also for all those salespeople out there, think about all the time that you have to input something into your CRM right? Like I had a phone call with da, 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 da. and you'd be like, Oh my God, I got to summarize my notes. And then maybe you took a recording of it and then you have to put it through a transcription service and all that, all that's going to be automated away for you so that you can focus on the actual thing that matters, which is actually closing the deal. And so your sales call, it's going to be recorded. It's going to be transcribed. And then the action items are going to be put onto your 
Kanban board, your Trello or whatever. And it's going to be like, Hey, follow up here. And it's going to automatically put another date on your calendar that matches with their dates. So that is definitely something that's going to happen. Customer service rep, 76%. And this is where we're seeing a lot of the penetration in all of the industries. Doesn't matter your industry. Customer service rep is a really, really big drag on the company because it's just de facto, it's a cost center. It is one of those things where if we can figure out a way to allay tickets and shorten times and get rid of overhead, it's nothing but wins. So 76% of their job can be augmented by generative AI. And this doesn't mean necessarily taking over, but augmented. And then the last one is going to be cashier, which is 59%. And we are already seeing that to this day, which is you know, with self-checkout and all of those types of things, right? The scanning UPCs codes and everything like that. Nowadays, if you go to certain supermarkets, the cashiers don't even have to memorize what the vegetable looks like anymore. Every single vegetable has a UPC code on it and they can just scan it and put it on the scale. And then on the low side, there's environmental health safety specialist, 3% of that job can be augmented by generative AI, construction specialist, 11% of those jobs, and then oil field operator. Makes sense. Everybody walking around physically doing something. Right, exactly. 1%. Seeing a robot do that. Exactly. Not for a while. Not for a while, if ever, because... We have that, a, I have a pretty good friend who's an oil field operator. That is a very human job for sure. It's going to be that way for a while. So I wanted to get to this portion of this, which is coming back people skills are more critical than ever. 92% of US executives agree that people skills are more important than ever. In the US, the fastest growing in-demand skills since November 2022 are flexibility, so that jives exactly with what with what you said, professional ethics, makes sense, social perceptiveness and self-management. It's all working with people being honest, being able to adapt, and being in charge of yourself. In the U.S., communication remains the top skill demanded across all job postings, which as we talked about before, it is never more important to be human, never more important to work on your soft skills, never more important to have an opinion about something. And that is how you are going to continually move up and keep moving up in your career, in life, in reaching that success, whatever success means to you, is continually to hone and sharpen your soft skills. Because a lot of the hard skill stuff, as we all know, can be trained, but for some of these jobs are not even going to be necessary anymore. And it's all how you interface with somebody else, which is one of the things that we talked about with interviewing. And this was a while back about like the seven tricks to make your interviewer love you, one of the things is being likable. Yeah, because they're going to have to work with you. Exactly. Just being likable because people want to work with people they like. People want to help people they like. How can we do that? Well, increase your people skills, increase your soft skills. But yes, that was today's episode. And I apologize once again for all of the construction noises in the background. We did our best and we are doing our best, but we wanted to get this information out to you. If you like this episode, do me a favor and 
share this episode with somebody. I know that this was a kind of a mixed bag of an episode and we talked about college and the college cost. And then we talked about AI and how that's going to be prevalent. But if you know somebody that is in a similar situation to you, who's trying to level up, skill up in their work, if you could hit that share button and send this episode to them, that'd be great. And if not, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would be great as well. You can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Hannah Mariama on LinkedIn. And he's Ryan Mariama at LinkedIn. And we will see you all next week. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the show. Until next time. Aloha.